when you start to first realize that your mindset is malleable and that it's just another part of your being and who you are and that you can take agency over it. There is a bit of excitement being like, you mean I'm not stuck? Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Mindset. It's what separates underperformers from the elite in any field, no matter if it's academics, sports, or sales. That's why our guest in this week's episode has made mindset coaching one of the key focuses of his enablement approach at one of the world's most recognized SaaS brands. In our conversation, he shares the relevance of the right mindset in sales, what sales can learn from other high-performance disciplines, and how to nurture mindset shifts. Please welcome HubSpot's regional enablement partner for Asia-Pacific, Isaac Carroll. Isaac Carroll, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. Felix, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. It is awesome to have you on the show. Uh, you work for a little-known startup called HubSpot. Yeah, it's not very well known. It's a little bit up and coming. We're hoping one day to, to be successful. That's right. <laughs> so what do you do at HubSpot? And just briefly, what's been your career journey to date? Yeah, so I'm definitely one of those people, Felix, that kind of fell into sales. That kind of attitude of, you know, when you, you naturally gravitate towards people, you have a little bit of a performance streak and you like to talk and present and you're finishing up your education and looking where you can go. Sales is a bit of a natural progression there. It's very easy or comfortable. And I've always been passionate about technology in some way. So when I started my sales career, was very lucky and was able to intern at Microsoft, progress through their grad program, get a phenomenal amount of exposure and experience to, to how an internationally recognized, hyper successful company operates, pivoted after that and went to, you know, small scale startup, doing everything you're up to three or four in the morning, like pouring through documents, or you've got this brainwave that you just have to get down before the idea disappears. And I was a sales manager there and then moved to HubSpot, taking more of that role originally as a channel account manager. So working with about 30 to 40 partners across ANZ to help them grow their business through their partnership with HubSpot. So that ranged from sales plans, sales coaching and training, advising them around business structures, hiring plans. Sometimes it would be as simple as helping them focus down, like what are they aiming towards, right? Like what, why are they running this business? What for them personally means success? And then how do we build some really clear goals and milestones around it to know that we're going in the right direction? And now after that, spent about a year in that role at HubSpot and have now moved into a regional enablement role. So I'm the regional enablement partner for the Asia Pacific. And my role is kind of twofold. So number one, I develop the learning strategy for the region. So it's really important to kind of understand what our salespeople need to be successful, very oriented around skill development, acquisition, application, rather than maybe let's say a more traditional interpretation of sales enablement, which can be a little bit more content focused around the actual resources and materials. And then the other piece is doing some one-on-one -on -one performance coaching with sales reps. And I think those things go hand in hand, right? You're going to develop the strategy for the region. You've got to know what's happening on the floor. You've got to know what salespeople are going through in real time. So you're almost taking that like just in time methodology, as well as that really forward thinking and preventative measures. Got it. I couldn't agree more. 
if you're a sales enabler and you're not don't have those relationships on the sales floor, you are definitely aiming for the wrong target. I think having those relationships are crucial to understand your internal target audience, which then helps you to understand your market better and ultimately enable better. Absolutely. Don't run into that trap of like getting lost in the spreadsheets and just relying on data. That's right. That's a really easy way to just kind of lose your way. And then you look six or 12 months trying the track and went, how do we miss this? Where do we go wrong? That's right. So the topic I specifically want to talk to you about today is mindset. And the reason why I'm particularly curious about hearing your thoughts on mindset is because HubSpot is particularly known in having a really massive fan base in the marketplace. And that includes customers. And I think if you create an experience that makes people turn up to HubSpot events in orange shoes or dye their hair orange, you have to do something right. Yep. And I also had Rob Moynihan, who is the head of growth at a HubSpot implementation partner at BAC Partners on the show. Oh, brilliant. No way. Yeah, yeah. When I asked him about some of the prime examples of sales excellence in markets, he also specifically mentioned HubSpot. So those are two of the reasons why I'm particularly keen on hearing your thoughts. But before we dive into that, I just want to cut to the chase and ask for your definition of mindset. What is mindset? Brilliant. I love this question. And there's two ways to kind of interpret this question or to answer it. And I'll give both. One is very much oriented around performance. But I'd also say mindset is at the core of everything we do. So we've got to think about it internally and personally. So to use a, a good analogy around mindset, I like to think of that as kind of like the coding inside of you, right? The computer code or the operating system of how you effectively utilize every part of yourself, right? So when we think about our body or a computer, there are lots of different parts. We want to make sure our nutrition's good. We want to make sure physically we're good and mentally we're strong. But the operating system is how you use all of those components together in the best possible way to generate, I would say, an outcome. But then it's also important, and this is where it comes to high performance and positive mindset, that you're aiming towards the right outcome or the outcome that's meaningful to you, right? If you just say, hey, I want to use these things as efficiently as possible without some kind of guidance system or some kind of orientation, then what are you aiming for? The other thing that I'd add to this is your mindset is also a little bit of the lens of how you interpret the world and how you process environmental factors or environmental information and interpret that to kind of meaning based on your value system, right? So that's why mindset is so important. It really governs like how you operate in your life and how you choose to use information and stimulus that's presented to you. So what I take from that also is that it's closely connected to your values. Is that fair to say? Deeply, intrinsically connected to your values. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more around the idea of personal philosophy, what the importance of culture is on mindset and things like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when we think about sales and high performance mindset, everybody's talking about sales transformation, digital transformation. People talk about the new normal and how the way buyers and sellers interact now in a new remote world has changed. From your point of view, how has the mindset required to achieve high performance in sales changed in the last few years and also vice versa? What hasn't changed? It's interesting. I was really thinking about this question because I'm sure you get lots of different answers depending who you talk to. But I think one thing that stands out to me in terms of what's really changed is the actual definition of a high performer. What do we see as a high performing sales rep now versus what was in the past? Depending how far back you go, it was pretty much reduced down to like dollar value, right? What's a high performing sales rep? The person that can just get the most cash through the door. And 
there's some validity to that. Businesses need to be successful. They are playing the infinite game, which means that they are in it to keep playing it as long as possible, which means you need sales reps bringing in revenue. However, and this is definitely something that HubSpot embraces. I know a lot of other companies embrace as well, but thinking about what it means to be truly high performing as a salesperson comes down to the idea of these kind of three components working in tandem, which is your craft or your technical ability. So in sales, that would be how you can have meaningful conversations. Are you asking those maybe difficult or tough questions, but you're leading towards a resolution either way, your body and your mind, right? And how some things have changed is I think we have a much stronger understanding or we're continuing to develop our understanding of the interplay between our physiological bodies, our emotional state and our mental state. And there's also, I guess, like an opening up of the dialogue as well, right? If you think back to 10 years ago, compared to what we're doing now with this focus on mental health, emotional regulation and self-awareness, how many companies 10 years ago would actually actively discuss this as a topic? It was something more of like, you've got to tough it out. You've got to kind of put it to the side and you're almost rewarded for muscling through it for want of a better term. So I think the attitude around what is a high performer and what constitutes high performance in any role, especially sales has changed. When we think about what stayed the same, you're still a salesperson. You are still going to be in a high pressure job and a high stress job. All of these things remain and a kind of, as we said before about mindset, those are their external or environmental factors that are always kind of inputting into your senses. And there's also, this was something that I was thinking about as well. The temptations are still there. The temptations of sales are the temptations of what it's like to be successful and what you can do. There are so many ways that you can kind of easily stray off the path of being a high performer because of your own wants and your desires. And I think that's something that's always stuck around in the sales role that we have to actively be aware of in our day to day. I think you touched on something really interesting there, which is mental health and sustainability or sustainable performance as well. Mm. High performance, I think from my point of view, did not always equal sustainable performance in the past. And I think the mindset of senior management heading up sales teams and heading up go-to-market teams has probably also changed because they realized that there's no point in investing all that time and money in recruiting and training and then burning out salespeople and then having to hire new ones. Like there's actually not only a philosophical and human benefit to being empathetic towards your team and towards sustainable performance, but there's also an economic benefit in reducing turnover, having higher levels of happiness and so on. So I do agree with that notion as well, that high performance more often than not these days also equals sustainable performance. Sustainable is a great word for it. I remember when I was starting at Microsoft, I was an intern at the time, and I was very, very lucky that I had a phenomenal mentor, Emma Tomlin, who I believe is still at Microsoft. And really she was kind of already on this journey herself. And I credit a lot of my mindset and where it came from to the work with her. But one of the first pieces of work we did was around younger generations entering the workplace, specifically millennials. And one of the stats that we were researching into was the employee acquisition cost. And some of the numbers that were coming out, you know, it's on average 15 grand purely to hire someone. So when you're looking at a business to generate the economic return of the investment that you've done, you've got to be looking over a longer term compared to maybe what was in the past where it was extracting maximum value out of your employees in a short period of time. And that's the quickest way to get to things like mental and emotional burnout, a massive boost in revenue, but then customer churn, because maybe the quality of the sale dropped and maybe the, what we were selling, these people and companies didn't genuinely solve their problems, 
right? And that's kind of like the hidden time bomb in companies. If you just focus purely on growth and push your salespeople to do that, 18 months down the track, you're going to sit and be like, wait, 30% of our customer base churned. We don't understand why. Well, you're rewarding salespeople for the wrong behaviors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the financial services industry is probably a prime example for that. It's probably the most public display of bad sales culture and the wrong values and the wrong mindset. Oh, man. Leading to those kind of behaviors that then made for the car crash that ultimately resulted in that royal commission that we, that we had a couple of years back. Perfect example. Where you're rewarding the wrong behaviors, you're going in the wrong direction. And when we think about, again, that company philosophy that influences personal philosophy, I would question, you know, was that personal philosophy or company philosophy wanting what's best for your customer? When you're delivering a service or when you're pitching something, it's something that's always kind of in the back of my head of like, is this the right thing for them? Have I learned enough to understand that I'm helping them? Or am I sitting there with the dollar signs running in my eyes going, oh, there's a big quota thing or a paycheck coming, right? Back to the temptations. As soon as those things kind of like start to enter your mind as like little tendrils or something, the standards that you hold yourself to drop a little bit. That's right. Right. Mindset is a constant battle in development. Absolutely. In terms of mindset development, let's say somebody feels like they're stuck in a negative mindset. They feel like they're not performing as well as they could be. Or if they're heading up a team, they see some flaws in the mindset of the team and they want to change that. Do you feel like mindset is something that you can really change? Or is that something that you really need to look for and filter for when you hire new sales reps? I feel like we could spend an hour just talking on this conversation topic alone. And I'm sure there are psychologists and doctorates out there who can give you a more complete answer, but I'll try and give you the answer. We'll start with the individual and then let's go and talk about the team. Because I think with all of these things, it has to start internally. It has to start internally. And when I think about this as well, and I don't think this is a controversial statement to say, but you can't make anyone do anything. You can't change their mind. You can't update their mindset. You can't make them do anything. It has to be a, a decision that they have made that they want to do. And then all of the work is themselves. It's all internal. You there as a coach or you there as a manager is there to help guide them. And almost like a little bit of a seller, ask those questions that helps them kind of start to resonate with what you're talking about. So if we talk about the individual, can you develop mindset or can you build mindset? Absolutely. If anyone's listening to this podcast and thinking, ah, oh, classic phrase, it's just who I am. This is a very comfortable way to excuse yourself from maybe things that you know you should be doing a little bit better or you know you can improve on but as soon as you say that your brain kind of goes okay we've established that's the reason and the human mind can be tricked so quickly right so long as we give a reason regardless of the validity of the reason that's enough right so if we think about can anyone change their mindset absolutely we should still be looking for this though in our hiring process so when we think about hiring, you've got a few things again. So you're looking at craft and technical ability. If you're hiring a salesperson, can they sell? What experience do they have? Do they have negotiation techniques, able to handle disagreement and conflict? Can they tell a good story? Can they get someone excited and paying attention and putting themselves into it? That's the craft aspect. But then when you come to things like the behavioral questions, this is where we can dig a little bit deeper. And this is where you start to see, you can Google online. 30 best behavioral questions to ask in an interview kind of thing. And sometimes those are really handy to kind of kick yourself off. But I would say as, as a hiring manager or a sales manager looking to, let's say, search for mindset, I would encourage you to sit down and think about your why. What kind of mindset is important to you and your team? Why do you value this so much? How have you seen this represented in 
other members of your team or other people in your company or professional circle? And what are the questions that you personally would ask to uncover that? As soon as you start to ask someone else's question, you've already lost that little bit of resonance that you want to have with the interviewee or the candidate and starting to get the, kind of like that interplay and connection of discussion, because that's when things really start to get interesting. Mm, absolutely. I think the notion that you can change mindset, you see examples of that everywhere. I think the only mindset that is imposed on you that you are equipped with is the mindset that your parents teach you, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's such a good point. When I was researching this as well, there was a phenomenal book that I read about a year ago now. And it was from a Hungarian Canadian doctor slash physicist, Gabor Mate. And he wrote this phenomenal book on trauma and the notion of intergenerational trauma. And it was really fascinating to understand like your kind of ancestry or where your family has come from really informs the baseline of where you start, how your parents interact with you, where everything develops, then how that evolves later on. Touching on that a little bit further from a psych perspective. What I find fascinating there is our brain's interpretation of physical versus emotional pain. The same area of the brain lights up for both types of pain. But the difference is if I remember breaking my arm 10 years ago, I'll kind of intellectually remember it. I can tell you, you know, how I fell, what was broken, it hurt, I was in the hospital. If we relive emotional or social pain, we physically relive it again. Right. Right. Our body, it's like we're going through everything all over again. And that can be sometimes a big inhibitor to high performance because we kind of become a slave to those physiological responses. And we get in that negative feedback loop and maybe you've had a bad sales call reminded you of something negative that happened in the past. Now your hand's shaking, your heart's pumping, you're breathing short. These are all the things that it's really important to start to recognize and have that ability to self-regulate and say, okay, I see these things. I know where they've come from. I know how it's been informed and I have the methods to rezone or recenter myself. Oh, absolutely. I think once you actually realize that you can change and you're self-aware, then the sky is literally the limit. If you have that level of self-awareness and that empathy also with yourself and allowing yourself to feel that way, but understanding also why that is the case, then suddenly you can aim for whatever you want to aim. And that might be becoming a high performance sales. That might be becoming a better parent or partner or whatever it might be. Mm. Those kind of limiting emotions are literally the difference between the homeless guy sitting on the corner and Jeff Bezos sitting in California yeah. from a business perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. You make your own luck in that regard, right? Touching on a couple of things you just said then that I loved. Number one is it genuinely, not only internally, but physically changes your perspective on the world when you start to first realize that your mindset is malleable and that it's just another part of your being and who you are and that you can take agency over it. There is a bit of excitement being like, you mean I'm not stuck with all of these things and habits that gets exciting. Your vision starts to change. What I found after a lot of work that I did for myself, I found that my vision physically brought it. It was quite phenomenal in terms of like what we started to absorb and take in and the ability to be so much more present in the moment meant we were being in it and we were experiencing and that was wonderful. And then the other part you talked about there, which I think is super important is having that empathy with yourself. Leading towards a high performance mindset or aiming towards a high performance mindset is not the same thing as demanding perfection from yourself. And it's a dangerous thing that I think it's important that we kind of highlight for people listening is like, we're not saying like, go and list all the things that you can't do or that you're not good enough and berate yourself to the point that you get better at them. 
because that's not going to help anyone, least of all yourself. It is having that acknowledgement of being honest about where you are today, what you're capable of, how you think, how you interpret things, what your actions say about your values and are you living your values through your actions and then making the decision of, okay, where do I want to go from here? What is the vision? Am I happy with how things are going? And then what am I doing that's not constructive to getting towards that? Because those are the things that you can start making little changes about to keep you on the course. Our audience has now understood what mindset is. We talked about that you can change it. Now, if somebody's ready to change their mindset, are there any professions or industries that sellers could be looking at as case studies or examples of mindset changes, like professions or industries that do that really well? 100%. I'll give you one that's going to be really obvious. I think everyone's going to listen to this and go, duh. And then I'll give you another one that may initially surprise people, but I think it will make sense when I expand it out. So the first and foremost is sport, right? Sport has historically been a hyper-competitive space, the literal highlander of industries, right? There can only be one in a particular field, right? You're either the best or you're not. There has been so much work done in this field, especially over like the last five to 10 years. If people are listening and looking for a recommendation, I would recommend Dr. Michael Gervais, or Gervais who was one of the coaches for the Seattle Seahawks and then went on to create a finding mastery course that talked all about this and how we really evolved the way that we think about sport in general, how we operate as a team, how we generate that team culture and team mindset, but also like as an individual, how we can make these changes, how we can update and perform, pick a sport and pick your favorite high performer. And I guarantee you'll be able to find ways that they manage this every day, right? Like I was literally reading about Jokovic two days ago, number one tennis player in the world, the best of the best, still has moments between a serve or getting onto the court where he can feel his heart pumping or his breath shortening. And the skill of a high performer is to not suppress, but it's to acknowledge and accept where you are and then how you can redirect that energy towards where you're wanting to go. The other profession that I would say that's kind of linked is musicians and artists. Another profession that's a little bit different to sport. It has that craft aspect and the technical ability. You generally have a very small threshold at the top when we think about, you know, percentage of musicians in the world versus the ones we actually know about and listen to, right? It's very, very tough. It's very, very challenging. And I think the unique aspect of music that maybe isn't as much in sport is when you are a musician and when you are playing, it's very vulnerable. You are letting go of all preconceptions and all kind of defenses to express and to be, and you can feel it, you know, I'm an amateur musician and enjoy playing music, but you can feel the difference when you're playing on stage, when you're playing the notes and when you're performing for a crowd, it physically feels different. You do feel an energy and resonance and connection with the audience that you're playing with when things are on and you get off the stage, you physically have a high being like, I barely remember part of those moments. Right. I was so focused in what was happening that it was all a blur, but the feeling that you get, you know, that you were performing, you know, that you were at your peak in that moment. Yeah. I love that. Just on the musician aspect that you just mentioned, there was a documentary about one of the top agents in the music industry. And he was talking about how he really early on in his career worked with Bruce Springsteen. And that's pretty much everybody that he talked to Bruce Springsteen about said that Bruce Springsteen is the hardest working musician they've ever come across, just simply because he always said he's not the most talented person, but he 
can be the hardest working person, which makes him better than most musicians out there. So I think oh yeah, that's musician mindset there on display. And I think the other thing I also want to say is in terms of the similarities between high performance in sales and musicians is the habit of deliberate practice. You can only perfect what you can practice. Mike uncle previously on this podcast, and he is a musician and he was talking about that sort of mindset being really valuable early on in his career as a seller. So I think deliberate practice is definitely something that is underrated in sales as well. Totally. Whether it's practicing the pitch, whether it's practicing the demo, whatever it might be. You don't want to practice with the CEO of the biggest possible deal you have in front of you. You want to practice with somebody who can give you honest but fair feedback that helps you improve until you have that opportunity. Yes. I love two things you said there. Number one is deliberate. Just because you've practiced something doesn't mean you practice something. We've all been in role plays or we've all done lessons where maybe as salespeople, we're thinking about that deal we've got later on in the day or that call that we've got to worry about, or maybe we're low on quota and we were distracted. So were we deliberate in that moment? Maybe, maybe not. The other thing that you kind of highlighted there, which I really love, and this is definitely something that you're seeing more and more companies do as well as sport, is creating that safe environment to fail. I think there's been an evolution of that discussion of fail fast and fail often, moving from maybe what it was before, which was a great slogan to say and to share, to people now actively practicing this and saying, okay, if we want them to be able to have that call with the CEO and smash it out of the park, we need to give people the opportunity to fail. That's how humans learn, right? We learn through trying something, failing, and then making a small course correction or tweak based on our experience of that. How unfair would that be like, hey, you've just started sales. We expect 100% close rate. You just be sitting there being like, well, that's not going to happen. That's impossible, right? And you're setting someone up for failure, which if we go back to mindset, now their self-talk is going, well, I couldn't achieve what I was meant to do. I'm terrible. I'm a failure. Why bother practicing? It just descends so quickly, so, so quickly. That's right. Now, in terms of enablers listening or sales leaders listening who really want to nurture a high-performance mindset and a positive mindset that contributes to, as we said earlier, sustainable performance within their team, how can they do that? How can you, as a leader, go about nurturing a mindset within the team? So I think the first thing that kind of touching on what we talked about before, right? Mindset is deeply personal, deeply, deeply personal. So if we're thinking that there's like some programmatic way that we can achieve this, I would say it's not realistic or you're not going to have the impact that you're looking for it to have. So when we think about enablers or managers as coaches, the number one thing you need to do for yourself as an enabler is have your personal philosophy. Understand you, understand why you're doing things, because if you're going to have a discussion with someone to help them reach that point, again, coming back to that resonance, you have to be able to have a dialogue. You have to be able to share and if you're asking from vulnerability on their side, it has to be given from you first. If we think about sales, the give get or the give take, right? Classic sales concept that everyone's familiar with. So number one, figure out kind of your personal philosophy. What I would also note here is it's really important for the company to have that as well. Have something that everyone in your company kind of orients around. I think a good example of that is Hubswell. Very, very early on, Damesh wrote the culture code. For the company, it's a 130 slide ever evolving document. And I'm not saying that companies need 130 slides worth of culture code, but it meant that everyone joining knew what we were doing, what we were focused on. There was a hard acronym to kind of join that. And it allows you to kind of build your own personal philosophy from there. Once you've uncovered that, what needs to be done first is as an enabler or a nurturer is to then create that kind of like safe and non-judgmental space. 
to talk it through. Again, we can't expect perfection instantly. We want to open up that dialogue and the discussion. It's almost like we're being a little bit of a coach slash seller for our own team. What are those questions that you can ask them where they have to go away and do a little bit of work and come back to you with an answer? If you can help them find out their personal why and then orient around that and align their career goals to their personal why, everything starts cooking. You start getting that momentum. You start getting that answer to those tough days that don't work out. You get shifts in mindset. You can start to have more intentional discussions around mindset exercises, visualization coaching. If someone's a little bit anxious, box breathing. There's a whole bunch of techniques that you can identify, but don't start with the techniques. You're kind of jumping the gun there. You've got to start with that why. Isaac, on that note, I loved having you on the podcast and thank you so much for sharing all those valuable insights with our audience. If people want to connect with you and continue the conversation, where can they find you and how can they best reach you online? If you want to find me in person, I'm generally around Chippendale drinking all of the coffee I possibly can to fuel my mindset. But if you want to reach out, have a bit of a chat or just catch up and talk around what you're doing with your team, best way to reach me is through uh, LinkedIn, Isaac Carroll, very easy to find. Got it. Thank you so much for joining, Isaac. Felix, thank you so much for having me, man. Next time on The State of Sales Enablement. I'm going to meet you on Zoom, but even on Zoom, I will meet you only twice, right? But in the other time, the rest of the 23 and a half hours, give me something which will help me educate my colleagues and make an informed decision.